0: Hi Mindfire Nation. Wow, I just realized we haven't called you guys and gals and Mindfire Nation for a long time. Um, hello listeners, welcome to the show. We have another episode for you. We're bringing you episode 17. So today we have something a little bit different. As you know, we're bringing you pixels and ink so that we can um, offer multi-channel marketing expertise so that you can learn some things and apply it to your business. And in that spirit, we've gotten a lot of questions over the past few months and we want to make sure that we're bringing you answers so that you can go take these and apply them to your business. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to have a special q a episode
1: and so to help us with the q a we've invited a special guest joe manos many of you know joe Uh, joe's been in the industry for quite some time both on the print side and the marketing as well as technology side previously with companies like print channel printable technologies um, and others and he really brings a lot of depth and insight to mm-hmm. many of the questions that are being asked by by you the listener so we're really excited to bring Joe on the show today and have him participate in these questions
0: yeah and he's spent a considerable amount of time with both corporate marketers yep. as well as service providers and mm-hmm. so the cool thing is as we know uh, many of you are service providers but many of you are also corporate marketers and so he's here to share his insight in both of those arenas
1: yep absolutely so there's three areas right that we're going to cover today what are those three areas McKenzie yep
0: so the first area is lead generation creating leads and revenue for your own company okay the second is gonna be Facebook we had many many questions I know we've done a few episodes on Facebook but many questions that we want to get answered and then the last one is about selling multi-channel marketing campaigns So this is tapping into the service provider arena whether you're an agency or a marketing service provider or a printer we're gonna be answering the most common questions about how to go out and actually sell these campaigns
1: beautiful and then if you listen all the way to the end what are they gonna hear then You
0: get to hear the special announcement of our winner of our Facebook training. So if you saw in the footer of our emails, we were running a week-long contest. And what you get is a free seat to our advanced Facebook advertising training course, which is a 7 dollars value, and the winner is going to get that. So make sure to tune in towards the end.
1: Yeah, and if you want to enter for the next uh, drawing, leave us a review on iTunes, and we pick a random winner, and we'll announce it on the next show.
0: Yes, sir. So without further ado, should we jump right in?
1: Yeah, let's do it. Hey, Joe, how are you doing today? Doing awesome. How about you guys? (laughs) We're rocking and rolling now. We're better now
0: that we have you here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a lot better. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So let's let's kick it off with our first set of questions here in the lead gen category. Um, This one came from Karsten. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, sounds Uh, right. Karsten is asking, how can you go about generating business during slow seasons? So, Joe, I know this is something that's near and dear to your heart, especially as we think about the... Uh, print service provider community, and and kind of the cyclical nature of their sales pattern. What kind of advice would you have for Karsten around generating business during the slower parts of the year?
2: Yeah, well, I would absolutely say we're always marketing. Uh, In today's world, with a plethora of uh, overload information that we're all being assaulted with, uh, it's really important that you stay top of mind with your customers. And the best way to do that is to have an ongoing nurturing program in place. It's continuously reminding them of your capabilities and how you can help them meet their business needs. And
1: what do you think, Mackenzie, from our view here in MindFire? How do how do we handle this?
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that um, having, as Joe said, an ongoing marketing campaign that's going on, touching people on multiple channels and also being able to stay top of mind so that you can... Be the first person they think of when something comes up, you right. know, because a lot of times we think, oh, you know, we're doing really great right now, so we don't need to keep on that ongoing marketing. It's something that we start to lose or let go of. Yeah. But really during the good seasons, and when you say, you know, step on the gas so that right. as the slow seasons start to come, you know, summer's just around the corner. We have all of that in place and everything. The architecture is in place for those campaigns to be running and all of the rough edges have been smoothed out and people are getting that ongoing communication.
1: One of the things I hear from some of our partners and customers is that they're too busy to market. Mm-hmm. like dur- during the times when things are good they're like you know I just I don't have enough people Joe do you hear that as well from folks as you're talking to them I just I'm, I'm too busy to market right now it's going great I don't have time to work on that stuff
2: absolutely and uh, that's a kiss of death because when you really need to start marketing because things slow down it's way too late that's yep. why having a continuous program in place uh, is really the saving grace for uh, smoothing out those peaks and valleys of revenue that we all face
0: So, Joe, I actually have a question for you, because I know there's probably people on the line who don't have these automated campaigns set up already. Let's say someone is thinking, okay, you know what? They're right. I have to get this set up. How long do you think it takes for a company to get an automated campaign that's set up and running on its own so that as they plan ahead, you know, let's say today, June 1st or whatever date it is, they can plan ahead and say, okay, I'll have my campaign up by July or something like that so that I'm ready for that. How long do you think that it takes?
2: Well, it depends on the organization, but, you know, having a partner that can help you can help you get a program up in two to three weeks. Um, And, uh, again, you've got to focus on it and, you know, make the time to take the necessary steps to get the program launched. But we have customers that inside of two or three weeks have their first program out the door with our help.
0: Okay, so listeners, if you're thinking, okay, I don't have this in place right now, whether you are a corporate marketer, you're a nonprofit, you're whatever company you are, maybe even a service provider, you can start today, get this in place, and within the next two to three weeks, hypothetically, have this campaign up and running so that even if you're really busy right now and you're not experiencing those downturns, that if you do start to experience them in the next few weeks, uh, you have something in place, some sort of system.
1: Definitely. Definitely. All right. So the next question we have, Mackenzie, I think this came in around the time we were talking to folks about how we use LinkedIn and sales intelligent. Mm -hmm. And the question is from Bill. Bill is saying, when you use sales intelligent and LinkedIn, do you have to have a connection in order to capture the email address for the prospect? So I know you and your team use this quite heavily. How would you answer that for Bill?
0: Yes. Hi, Bill, if you're listening. So actually for all of the listeners, let me just give a brief introduction about yeah, sales Yeah, that's Intelligent. a good idea. Uh, obviously, as you know, LinkedIn has a plethora of people that you want to connect with if you're looking for business contacts. And in order to get the contact information for LinkedIn, there's many different tools, Sales Loft, Sales Intelligent. Uh, neither of them we think are better or worse. Sales Intelligent is just the one that we use and our team knows how to use. And what it is, it's a really easy plugin that goes into LinkedIn. It's a side panel that shows up on the right-hand side. You can go into LinkedIn you can search for maybe healthcare professionals or any you know number of people you can look for within a specific company maybe you want to look for people within Pfizer or whatever it is and it allows you to um, export contact data for those people so let's say you say I want Pfizer all CEOs as well as director of marketings or anyone in a management position Uh, LinkedIn will naturally segment that list for you and then you can just click add 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 sales intelligent will, will then at that point collect the data so the email addresses and then you can just download a csv so you don't need any specific software or um, anything like that all you need to do is go to salesintelligent.com download that plugin open up linkedin you're good to go
1: yeah so to answer your question bill once you, once you've done exactly what Mackenzie stated the system sales intelligent and S- sales loft and the, the others that do this mm-hmm. are going to use an algorithm that guesses at the best um combination of first name, last name and domain name to create a valid email and many of these systems will actually verify that email for you as well behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be connected. Yeah, and it'll actually
0: question. yeah and it'll tell you if it's there, if they're one hundred percent sure. It'll show a green yep. or if it's not one hundred percent
1: I'm thinking of reportive, which does exactly what McKinsey stated. It gives you in Gmail and I think they also have it for Outlook it allows you to hover over someone's email address and then it shows you a little panel of information for that individual. So the way we're connecting that back to your question, Bill, is if you get that email address from Sales Intelligent, the one that they think is most likely the email of the person you're trying to communicate with, you can start writing them an email, whether it be Gmail or an Outlook, and then using Reportive or Capture, this thing that McKenzie mentioned, hover over their email address and if that panel actually loads information for that person, then bingo, you know you have the right Mm -hmm. uh, person's email address. You get to see their photo and everything. Yeah, you get to see what they look like. (laughs) So we can link those up in the show notes. How's that? So people have easy links to that. So Mm -hmm. uh, the next question here in lead gen area, in the lead gen area, is from Jim. And uh, Joe, I'll direct this one to you first here. Jim is saying, help me understand how the automated marketing process works in the B2B market versus the B2C market.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, You know, I would start by saying that uh, it's unique to the uh, company's need. You know, whether it's a new customer acquisition, customer-based growth, loyalty program, or even trade show and event marketing, um, it really is specific to the need. So let's say we have a a B2C uh, where we've got a business that has a 50th anniversary program, and they want to drive both prospects and customers in the door uh, for uh, an opportunity to purchase during this um, milestone anniversary. So, that would be very specific in, in the uh, messaging and the call to action. Here's a you can take 20% now during the sale, or you can have 15% anytime during the next six months. And at the same time, they're also collecting information about future large purchase needs so they can prepare their inventory and follow up with these specific customer needs. So that would be one example of a B2C. But again, they're tailored designed to whether it's a new customer acquisition or you know something along the lines of what I just described.
1: Another thing that I would add for you, Jim, layering on top of what Joe just said is that in the B2B market, um, one of the opportunities you have with automated marketing is to do what's called account-based marketing. It's kind of a new term that's popped up in the last, uh, say, 12 to 18 months. We employ that here at MindFire, and the concept is pretty simple. Usually works in B2B, and uh, there are some B2C applications, but B2B is where you primarily find the concept. And the concept is as follows. So when you're working with an organization a B2B, uh, in a B2B scenario, and you want to penetrate that organization, By and large, these days, most of the buying decisions are happening uh, not in isolation, meaning not one individual, but a group of people or um, teams of individuals who are involved in the transaction in some way. And so when you think about account-based marketing, the idea there is that instead of just targeting one person within an organization... You're actually doing uh, multiple touches through uh, various channels and and a variety of tactics to touch other people in that organization, others that are involved in that purchasing process. So that's another thing that comes to mind when you think about B2B marketing automation versus B2C. Because in a B2C scenario, it could be a household, which we sometimes Mm -hmm. see. Um, Like in the higher ed space, we do see folks who target not only the student or prospective student, but also his or her parents Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. You have any thoughts to add to that for Jim?
0: Um, not specifically, I think you guys covered it, but I like that you mentioned, uh, going horizontal within the organization and getting other people. So yep. that's definitely a B2B in both cases. What I think is a similarity between them is that you can also use other channels such as Facebook. And, you know, we'll talk about this in the future in a few minutes, but, um, you can use B2B and B2C in Facebook and, and trying to reach that organization. So sure. I think that's a similarity between them. Sure.
2: Dave, I think one of the other important considerations for the B2B is sales ready. Uh, for most of our customers that are working with B2B organizations, they're helping them migrate from sending all their leads to the organization to be followed upon, which we know many of those are very early on in consideration of a product or service, and now focusing on delivering sales-ready leads to their sales organization. Yep. This has three huge impacts. It shortens the days to sale. It increases the revenue per rep, and it gives you a better overall uh, return on market investment. In fact, uh, Forster Research states in one of their studies that organizations leveraging this approach, which we train into our our customers, uh, generate 50% more sales-ready leads at a third less marketing cost. So it's a it's really the holy grail for marketers and and uh, really really important on the B two B side. Get them to sales ready.
1: It would be interesting for us to run the same data the points that Joe just mentioned mm-hmm. on Mindfire because in fact that's how we do it. Right. right. It'd be interesting to see how it compares to. Um, to the older days
0: one of the things I like about uh, using marketing automation is, is in b to c is something I've noticed just as a as a consumer out there is that so much more of the communication is personalized to me uh-huh. and I can see myself as I'm part of drip campaigns for other companies and it you know it's interesting because I'm Yes, I'm being bombarded with all these different companies and products and services, but at the same time they're pretty targeted towards me. sure And I've noticed that difference as more companies start to employ uh, marketing automation where I'm saying, you know I'm part of this campaign, but now that I'm on this side, I can kind of play the game because I can open an email and click away or go to a shopping cart and leave and then I'll get those 20% off coupons yeah. or something. you know and how to play the game. Yeah, <laughs> I know the play- know how to play the game and I get yeah. this coupon. So I am definitely seeing myself as a consumer be involved in these campaigns for B2C. So yeah. yep. that's interesting.
1: So let's take one more question here in the lead gen section. This one comes from Bill, another Bill. Yeah. And uh, Bill says, um, when I'm trying to put these campaigns together, list building Mm -hmm. always seems to be the biggest and first roadblock. So how do you get the names and build these lists? So Mackenzie, I'll start with you since you, you handle that here within MindFire. What's your view on how to how to get around that roadblock?
0: Yeah, so I think that we hear that a lot from people that it's like, okay, well, who am I supposed to target? Now, um, let's just go back to this B2B versus B2C market. Let's say you're a B2C company, and one of the things that you can do is go by location. So let's say you're a new Whole Foods opening up or you're a company, you can start to look demographically at different areas around you and say, okay, let's pull all the people who live within X amount of miles. So, um, or if your target market is, you know, people that are healthcare people or yoga people, go find, well, where's the highest incidence of people that are interested in healthcare or in, you know of yoga or something like that right, so right. that's one thing that you can do
1: and it reminds me mike robinson who we had on the show a few episodes mm-hmm. back uh if you're interested folks he actually has a service or a product that allows you to do exactly what you're stating so Mackenzie, you have the whole foods you can draw a radius around that whole foods and say hey i want to get people within a three mile kind of radius of this location and come back and tell you how many names how many people you can mail to in this case direct mail in that vicinity there
0: yeah and even I know we spoke about um, in the lead gen about Australia how the, the share coke campaign did it in Australia so probably one of the things that they did to infiltrate that market is go in and say okay I want to you know I want to pull the people that live within this specific area so yep. for B2C I think that demographic based searching is um, a really easy tool and then of course uh, there's other tools that you can get to actually get the contact information like we spoke about um, in terms of B2B I think that we, I mean, we will, we're going to talk about Facebook, but you have a lot of contacts at your fingertips that you don't even realize. Yeah, you do. So, so number one is you know people that are coming to your website, are you using um, a system to track those people and to um, make sure that you're capturing them as they come to your website? Right. Maybe you have lists. Maybe you have business cards from uh, trade shows. Maybe you have a CRM. So there's a number of different ways. And I think it's important, Bill, if you're listening to this, hopefully you are, that you're able to... Talk to your customer about, okay, where are the people that you're targeting? And it could just be your email inbox, you know, and so get all the people that you are that you're communicating with or your salespeople are communicating with.
1: Before we get Joe's input, it reminds me of another thing that happened to us, Mackenzie, back when we uh, were starting to work on our own uh, list building, if you mm-hmm. will. So we were hearing, you know, uh, there's not enough uh, new prospects to go after or this particular segment of the market is tapped out, right? Yep. Um, and so what we did is we went and we pulled, um, and I'm sure this is true for many industries, there is a public that publishes a list of the top 400 companies yes. in that particular segment, nice. in that particular vertical, right? Mm-hmm. That's free. They list all the companies. They list the key people. They list their revenue, all sorts of data.
0: And that's been huge for us. Yeah,
1: and and so I would I would venture to guess for you, Bill, that that probably exists in your industry or if you're providing this service to your customer, you can probably find lists like that. Mm-hmm. Right now, take that list and now do things like the sales intelligent uh, plus LinkedIn and other things that you described, McKenzie, a few moments ago. Uh, and with that bill, you can start to build out that list. So I'm going to go out on a limb and just say if if you're hearing that from your organization or if your customer, well, let's start with your organization. If you're he- hearing that from your organization, my inclination would be that it's a it's an inability to think um, to the next step or an excuse in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, there's no shortage of ways that you can start to build that list. If you're a service provider and you're hearing that from your customer, then I would immediately start to hear you know, ching and, and dollar signs because that's an opportunity for you to provide value and to build those lists for your customer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as we've we've spoken about in the past, think about your best prospects. Who in the world would you love to sell to because you have something that you think you can really bring value to them? Think about those people. Go find those people. Go find those yeah. companies and then find people Use just the like that. Use, Use Google. The
1: I mean, all of the information is out there. So mm-hmm. Joe, what do you think about this question?
2: Yeah, I think both of you. It's just about everything. I think the only other uh, additive point I'd make is that you know, try to drive uh, anybody that's in your world, uh, especially the website, uh, to a form where you can collect that additive information. Nice. Yeah,
1: that's good. Lead magnets. Yep. What's
2: your interest? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, provide them some value because everybody's searching for information to help them meet their needs. So give them something of value. Here's an ebook. Here's a case study. I love that. And then get something in return for that from them. <laughs>
1: All right, well, let's, uh, let's turn the corner now to the second group of questions. And these are the questions that came in about Facebook. So we've talked about Facebook a number of times here on the show, right? We've had a couple of episodes uh, focused on Facebook. We've done a number of webinars for you. Um, and so a, a, a good number of you had questions around Facebook and specifically some of the tactics that we've talked about. So I'm going to open us up here with a question from Trey. And Trey is wondering... Uh, I'll address it to you, Mackenzie. How do you support your email campaigns using Facebook and LinkedIn?
0: awesome so one of the things first of all we already talked about the fact that we use LinkedIn to sometimes get contact information for our email campaigns we also use Facebook to um, gather some information and gather contacts but then beyond that we have this idea of air support air cover and one of the things that we do is as we send out email campaigns we um, navigate vertically or excuse me horizontally within the organization find other key contacts just like you were saying for lead generation and then we start to use an email custom audience to search for them and target them on Facebook. So what that means really briefly is we have a list of email addresses of people who we want to retarget or market to or brand to. We import them into Facebook and start to put impressions in front of them. Maybe we invite them to a webinar or maybe we invite them uh, to read an ebook or case study, just like Joe was saying. So uh, we use e- email custom audiences to retarget. We also use website custom audiences too. Do you want to describe how we do that, Dave?
1: On the website custom audience please. Yeah. Piece? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the website custom audience is building a list of um, individuals who visit those landing pages like Joe mentioned or your website. Um, so let's imagine your email campaign is linking to your website or linking to a landing page yet Not everybody who clicks through is doing the thing you want them to do using the website custom audience Now you can support that email campaign using Facebook mm-hmm. uh, To drive additional impressions and get that person to come back to that site or back to that page
0: Yeah, and then also you c- you're able to put branding in front of other people within the organization that you're not necessarily Talking to so you create that buzz yep. within their company like oh, hey, I've heard of that company, too.
1: Yeah, so So, uh, Trey, that's the answer to your question there. Let us know if you have any other follow-up there. The next two are from Dean. Um, I'm going to ask them uh, one one at a time. Uh, Dean is saying, when you create a custom audience on Facebook, can you email this audience or will they only see your ad? So, by definition there, Dean, when you create a custom audience on Facebook, you're creating it uh, most likely using email uh, addresses. So, of course, you can email that audience, Mm -hmm. right, just as we talked about and they will see your ad, So you have to have those email addresses to begin with in order to upload them to Facebook. So by definition, I think that answers your question there. Uh, The next uh, question that Dean has is, when I create a custom audience on Facebook, is there a minimum database size to get matches? My client only has around 70 or 80 names with email addresses. Uh, We'll find the exact number, Dean. My recollection is that it's around 100. Mm -hmm. If you upload around 100, that should be enough. We'll get the specific number there for you.
0: Right, but then you can also use the um, audience insights to go find people that look like them, right? Yes. So you can say, okay, I have this list of, let's say, let's say you do have a hundred. I have this list of a hundred people. Well, now we want more people just like this. People that exhibit the same behaviors or have the same um, attributes as them.
1: Yeah, I think in that case, Facebook recommends about 1,000 to 5,000 people Mm. as your seed list. Perfect. Yeah, so um, you may need a bit more than 100 in order to do that, but I I believe, if I recall, it's 1,000 to 5,000
0: awesome and the next question comes from Sandy and she asks how much does it cost to have your ad reach your custom audience so Dave I'll throw this back to you because I know you're the gambler <laughs> out yeah. of the group
1: <laughs> well I mean Sandy um, that's like asking uh, how much does a car cost you know it depends right on right. what kind of car you want um, you could go get a, a used car for five thousand dollars or you could go buy I don't know what's the most expensive car Ferrari or a a car Lamborghini person, so yeah no idea. Joe's a car guy a Bentley a Bentley okay. how much is a Bentley
2: <laughs> uh, i think 350 something like that okay
1: wow
0: if you create a lead gen machine and you're starting to create that revenue maybe you'll be able to afford a Bentley. yeah system. go for the bentley
1: <laughs> so sandy i mean it's 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 that same type of range you know um it depends on how much you want to spend
0: but what's the minimum do you think what could you get something you know where can you get some juice even with a few dollars or something?
1: five dollars a day is enough and uh, we do it day in and day out we see folks who do it if you've got your targeting down and you've got your message and creative tight and you've got a good landing page with a good offer, yeah, $5 a day is enough. But again, Sandy, it depends on really uh, you need to, I, we would need to have a little more information in order to know how much you would spend. Uh, one of the things that also factors in is how much the item is that you're selling. Mm. Um, because that will in in part dictate how much you could allocate in
0: budget now this is a little bit of a digression but just to continue on because it has to do with what you were just talking about sure you said if you have your correct ads in place and your lead forms and all that mm-hmm. that you're good to go but then I want to take Joe's input on this because Joe even if you have your lead form and your follow-up what do you have to do you have to make sure that people are actually following up on those leads and things like that so do Joe do you have any advice to make sure that um, we're getting lead alerts and following up and, and what's the importance of that
2: well it's essential uh, because because at minimum, if you reach out to someone who's expressed interest and they're not ready to talk to you, they'll tell you. But, again, they're always impressed with your follow-up. Mm. And, it, you know, the studies show that if you follow up in five minutes versus 30 minutes, you're 100 times more likely to speak to someone. So there is value in real-time follow-up. And, again, it also allows you to get that first-level qualification on where they are. So, absolutely, you have to have some follow-up plan in place or the leads go to the great abyss and then you're wasting your marketing dollars
1: yep uh, that's that's a beautiful point we should link that up in the show notes as well so mm-hmm. people have that stat mm-hmm. uh, the next question here is from Tony Tony is saying will the Facebook ad route users to their own pearl so just to add some clarity to what Tony's asking a pearl if you're not familiar with that concept is a personalized URL typically used on a print piece on a direct mail piece mm-hmm. it has the name of the individual in the URL and that URL directs that individual to a landing page or a microsite that's personalized to that specific individual. So in in this case, Tony, generally speaking, the Facebook ads do not route to a pearl. There are some restrictions that Facebook um, puts on us as advertisers that keeps that from happening, but there are some ways to kind of address the same use case and get the same um, end-state objective. So Tony, I don't know if that answers your question directly, but typically no, the Facebook ad does not route to the pearl, but depending on what you're trying to do, uh, you may be able to still obtain the same end state objective.
0: And the next question comes from Jim. Jim says, does Facebook allow you to see where people are coming from similar to Google Analytics?
1: Yeah, definitely. So Jim, uh, Facebook has a lot of reporting. It can get overwhelming. Um, There's a lot of different ways to look at your data. But yeah, they allow you to see where people are coming from with respect to your ad targeting. So you can tell, as an example, are they clicking from mobile? Are they coming from desktop? Are they coming from the audience network? And there's just a whole plethora of data. So it's, it's not exactly like Google Analytics, but if you're asking, does it give you insight in the same way that Google does? Yes, the answer is yes
0: great and then the last question we got i'm not i don't remember who it came from so forgive me on this one but it was do you really find business people on facebook and does it work for b2b companies <laughs> which is n- uh, this is a valid question, yeah, it's a great question i used to think no way yeah um i've now been i see i've seen the light you see the light <laughs> <laughs> i've seen the light and it, and it works but
1: well, well so well, joe what, what do you think about this and what, what have we seen here with respect to actually finding business people on facebook
2: absolutely I, I can't stress strongly enough that it, it's very powerful in fact we've got a little uh little uh, story that's kind of cute at least i think so but uh the team members had me se- <laughs> the team had me set up to speak to a president of a prospective client of ours to talk about pricing and proposals which happens to be one of our topics for sales today and uh as we had targeted him mckenzie had targeted him as part of our uh, facebook ads. Uh, he takes his dog for a walk every night at 11 o'clock, and he jumps on Facebook when he's walking the dog for 20, 25 minutes. And the first thing that popped up on his Facebook account was our ad. So before we got into any conversation the day I called him the next morning about 6.30 our time, uh, he said, first of all, Joe, how the hell did you guys target me on Facebook? I want to do that for my own customers. So yeah, it works. And he's the president of a good-sized company. So yeah, we're both big believers in it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the most prevalent myths that's out there. Um, If you know what you're doing, the the targeting is really the key in terms of how you get in front of those people. But B2B people are people too, right? And, I mean, and there's yeah, no what's difference. what's
0: the match rate if you, e- if you upload an email custom audience? Yeah, from an
1: email custom audience side, I think w- we usually see 20 to 40 percent somewhere in that range. Yeah, I was going to yep.
0: say so 30. So between 20 and 40 percent of your emails are going to match even if they're on Facebook. So if you say, okay, you know what, let's use Facebook on our own marketing. Or if you're a service provider and your customer says to you, What do you mean? What ha- we only have people's uh, corporate email addresses and people use their, you know, their personal ones on Facebook, that's that's a myth. So yeah, it's gonna match about twenty to forty percent.
1: Yep, definitely.
0: So let's segue into the good part. This yeah. is the part where I mean Joe is so knowledgeable about which is really exciting to have him here and this is all about selling campaigns so we have a few questions Um, they're a little bit more detailed so I want to start off with Joe um, here and ask him what is the typical cost for selling a campaign to a client so Joe is there a proposal form or template they also want to know but why don't you talk a little bit about that
2: yeah absolutely well first of all each program is unique that's why there's so much value associated with it more importantly for our customers, you know, there's profit associated with the, the great value you're bringing in the marketing outcomes and the sales conversions. So, you know, typical cost. Uh, I have customers that won't do a program for less than fifteen thousand dollars. That might be a five thousand, ten thousand uh, contact list. It's got a personalized direct mail, email uh, nurturing sequence built into it. But they're not going to do a, uh, you know, a program for less than that. I do have other companies that are smaller that. Uh, you know, might run a program for $7,500. So, they, but they are tailor designed. I think the, the crux that sometimes printers that are trying to make a transformation to marketing service providers fall into, is they, they want to do a line item proposal. No, we do not do line item proposals for marketing services. Each program is tailored designed, it's unique. So therefore, the, we take a programmatic approach and we give them a single cost of investment that includes everything the setup, the emails, if you've got Facebook ads, it's got everything delineated in that proposal, and that's the investment required to launch the program. And then you may have a monthly component for the ongoing nurturing sequences, the reporting. And, you know, we do have a proposal template that many of our customers use. If you're a current customer of ours and you'd like to have that, just send me an email. I'm happy to send that to you, but we should spend a couple minutes on the call and let me walk you through that and we also do have a pricing grid for how you price these programs your hard costs for hours in development and then the sell through price with you know the average profit uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 to 60% because of the huge value you're bringing to the organization so that's a quick snapshot on those three areas
1: yeah, so that kind of gets to the next question here, Mackenzie. Um, that that was around when you sell a campaign. Again, this is if you're a service provider like a printer mm-hmm. or a, a type of company like that. Is it a one-time fee, Joe, or is there an ongoing fee?
2: Yeah, and that depends. Again, I mean, if you're really selling nurturing sequences, there's going to be an upfront investment, which is typically a large, you know, part of the program, and then there will be a monthly fee. Uh, sometimes they're as low as five hundred dollars for the ongoing three, four email touches. For the month, plus the reporting that you're providing the customer. I've never seen less than $500 a month for the ongoing fee, and we strongly recommend that because there's work to be done, you know, as you're moving that nurturing sequence forward.
1: Yeah. You know, one thing that, I, that comes to my mind, Joe, and we've, we've talked about this a lot, is that especially for the folks that are printers in the audience that are listening right now, Uh, We've noticed that oftentimes they will leave value on the table as they're proposing these things to their customers because, guys and girls, you're coming out of a world where you've been accustomed to selling print, which is dramatically different than selling a marketing service or a marketing solution Um, or software because in some cases there's custom code that needs to be developed to make these campaigns do what they want to do so Joe would you agree or disagree with my assertion that not always but in many cases specifically um, our friends in the print community leave value on the table and are not charging according to that value?
2: Oh absolutely I can't tell you how many times you know the smaller printers certainly said well I'm going to give away the you know, the personalized URLs uh, and just so we can get the print. I mean, that's insane. And that's frankly, unfortunately, how the print industry got where it is today. Yep. You know, if any, I always like to tell our print customers that if most customers knew how difficult it is to, to deliver quality print, they'd be embarrassed by what they pay. Well, marketing services, there's a lot of moving parts and you want to deliver a successful outcome, which means they get a great ROI and they're willing to pay a tremendous amount
1: for that ROI. Yep. Yep. I agree.
0: Yeah, and I think, I think a point to, to make is that, yeah, maybe it's going to be costing more than their price per piece print job, but the thing is you're giving them additional revenue. You know what I mean? As you integrate other channels into your marketing beyond just the print component, your customer is going to be seeing higher revenue, higher ROI, and so it's all going to pan out. You know, it's if you if you parallel how much uh, return on investment they're going to get from just a print campaign versus if you do a full multi-channel, well, yeah, they're going to be paying more, but they're going to be getting much better results. Yep. So.
2: yeah that's a great point and uh, i would add one additional point to mackenzie if you're getting your customer balking at a well-executed marketing program you have a sales issue you clearly mm-hmm. didn't identify their key deliverables and show them how you're going to be able to deliver that and you know four or five x beyond what they typically deliver so you have a sales issue and you need to circle back and create that value so that it's easy for them to say yes to the price that you're asking because the price you're asking is very fair for the ROI they're going to
1: achieve. So the next question, I think, is is in line with that yeah. same line of thinking. So it's a three-part question from Rick. Rick, thank you for your question. We love Rick, by yep. the way. Rick says, I'd like to truly understand the entire sales process. I get in front of people, and my old-school ways creep to the surface of selling a commodity being print. So here's question number one, Joe. I'll direct it to you. How do I move that conversation? Yeah, so Joe, what would you say to Rick? How, How does he move away from talking about the commodity being print to selling marketing services?
2: Well, first of all, you've got to believe. You have to internalize the value you're delivering that customer, and you have to be passionate in how you and your company are going to be a game changer for that organization if they provide you the opportunity to help them with their marketing outcomes. So you have to internalize that. You have to be comfortable. And I, what I find with most of our printers that are making transformation is that because they haven't done enough preparation in internalizing that and really being comfortable in how they can help the customer, they're afraid to ask the fair value-added price that they should ask. So it's a training issue, uh, and then it's a presentation issue, having the right presentation that's going to resonate with the customer specific to their unique need. We're either solving a pain that's killing them, mm-hmm. leading to poor results, yep. or there's a new opportunity that we have to develop fully. And, uh, and sometimes it's both. But again, that's part of that sales process, which is the second part of this question. Uh, and you know that starts with, why are you there? Why should they meet with you? the discovery process, and then that segues into the sales presentation.
0: You know, something that you brought up, which I love, is the fact that you got to believe. And I remember when I first started with MindFire, it was I think like five years ago at this point. Gosh, it's been so long. Um, I remember for the first time experiencing – I came from selling advertising before, and I remember experiencing the firsthand thinking about personalized URLs and and seeing these campaigns. And I remember calling um, our colleague Mary and saying, whoa, This is amazing this really works and then as i started to have those i was in sales at the time sales development as i started to have those conversations with people they could hear that enthusiasm with my voice because i was just entranced by this new idea of multi-channel marketing and i saw whoa this stuff really works and then when i talk to people i express that you know and so i think this comes back to the first topic which is building a lead gen machine and if you are you know rick or any company if you're going to go out and start to resell this to their your own customers following up on believing is first doing it to your own company so take a moment or to you know take some time do a self-promotion campaign see how it works on your own company see what kind of results it generates from you that's going to create a believer mentality within you and then as you go to talk to people you're just telling your own story you know along with the right tools and resources the presentations and and all the help from you know people of our team or other team whoever maybe you're not a customer of ours and you have other people within your organization if you've done this on your own company and you see the results you're going to be the best talking advertisement for your own services that you're offering.
2: I was just going to add something to McKenzie's excellent point, And that is, you know, one of the things I do with a marker early on and say, here's my vision for you. You know, this is with one of our customers, let's say. I open up our inbox, you know, on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, where we're sending out, you know, opportunities for customers and prospects to learn more, you know, McKenzie's driving that. And I open up my inbox and I say, here's the first hour that's starting at 6 a.m. this morning. Here's what my inbox looks like. And I go through three pages, that's 300 Uh, leads that have been created within the first hour. And I said, this is my vision for you. We want to create the same environment when you open up on Tuesday morning and you're looking at your inbox. These are folks that are responding to your nurturing program. That's my vision for you. And if you allow us to help you, this is what we'd like to do for you. If you're a service provider and you're opening up your self-promotion program Mackenzie just mentioned, and that nurturing sequence, you've got those leads sitting there, What's the customer going to say? No, I don't want
1: that. Yeah. You're solving a right. problem. <laughs> Too many leads. <laughs> so Joe to to follow up on your on the this this point of the salesperson whoever's presenting needing to be a believer. In your experience when there's a non-believer, let's say is it because he or she hasn't experienced it themselves? Um, is it because they don't, uh, you know, inherently believe in the technology aspect? How would you? What do you see in terms of the non-belief? Where's that coming from?
2: Oh boy, that's a big, big question. But I'll just give you my humble opinion. It comes from three or four key areas. One, one of my favorite sayings, and I say it when I'm guest speaking with marketing executives, is uh, marketers don't know what you don't know. And so we are a resource, you know, whoever the customer, whoever we are sitting in front of the marketer, one of our chief responsibilities is to educate them on the trends that are taking place. Now marketers like to go to their comfort level, right? they sometimes don't want to get out of their box until they're convinced it's a safe zone to move to. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that? You have to have, again, that understanding. You have to show them the fundamental difference. You're focusing your team on all the leads Yet 95% of those leads you're giving to your team are not sales ready, so you're consuming your critical resource sales and wasting their time. That's why you should be focused on what our focus is conversions and focus on sales ready opportunities. Let me show you the difference. And then you walk them through that four step process, which is in my presentation, of how you deliver sales ready leads to your organization. And once they start to understand it, then they're like, tell me more. Does this work? They want to get in that safe zone. Prove it to me, and then very often a lot of our customers will start with that pilot program. So I'll prove it to you. Let's run a 90-day program. Let's start. Let's say they have 100,000 names. Let's start with a small sample, 10 to 20,000 of those names, and let's show you how this works.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think I understand what you're saying. Is the non-believer typically, uh, or or one situation for the non-believer is where he or she doesn't get doesn't want to get out of their comfort zone, doesn't know what they don't know. Is that what you're saying? Right. Absolutely. Okay.
2: You have to make it really easy to understand to show them the new way, right? So that's practice. You've got to be very comfortable with that. That belief metric internalized. And if after showing it to them, they still don't get it. Sometimes you have to circle back because it's a new concept to them. And and if they've got their arms out saying, Oh, that's really interesting. Then they didn't get it. You had to cycle back and say, what part of this process is scaring you? Let's talk about that. And, uh, so, again, it's just, you know, really each customer is unique, but it's understanding where the breakdown is taking place. And in some cases, I had one new customer that we did this, his first customer meeting, and the customer said, I want it. Let's go. Now, they don't all go like that, but, again, the right presentation is so important.
1: Yeah, so, Rick, I think you got a lot of value from us there. Hopefully that, that's helpful to you. Um, there's one more question here, and, Joe, I think you touched on it. It comes from Nick. Nick is asking, what are the typical profit margins on selling marketing automation campaigns? So Joe, from your perspective, when you work with uh, with folks in our space, what are you seeing in terms of profit margins?
2: Yeah, and I've got, this is part of my pricing uh, training for our customers. Um, you know, I can show you half a dozen customers, their actual pricing sequences, which they said I can share. Um, and you'll see at minimum 50% uh, net profit. Uh, their hard costs, let's say for an annual program, Uh, To build it out and execute that nurturing sequence for a year, let's say it's thirty-five thousand dollars, and they're charged their sell-through cost on the proposal. That single point of price is probably seventy-five thousand dollars. They'll probably ask for twenty-five thousand up front, and then they'll have a monthly component of you know four thousand two hundred dollars per month that the customer's paying. So they're not getting hit with the entire cost up front, but they have you know the most significant Piece up front and then a monthly cost. And then I've seen some that you know might be even greater profit margin than that, but they'll take you know 50% up front and then spread the balance uh, in monthly payments as well.
1: Beautiful.
0: Yeah, one point I wanted to make going on this, you know, kind of completing this selling campaigns is that as I reflect back on all of the different uh, interviewees that we've had on the show, many of them um, are, you know, CEOs or directors of sales and marketing for service providers or, you know, whatever it is. And Something that I've noticed is that they all talk about it being a cultural shift. So yes, you need to be having these conversations, Rick and whoever else is listening, and you need to be asking the right questions and reframing your your, your cost structure and things like that. But it seems like it's an organizational shift and a culture shift around providing value and solutions rather than just commodities you're not selling a product you're selling an entire solution you're selling a dream you're selling an inbox full of leads and it has to come from the top down as well as the bottom up so
1: so true
2: yeah i just want to have one point because that's a good closing point and something that i see from 99.9 percent of the marketing executives i'm presenting to with our partners um 99 of them agree on my silo slide that they're trying to do some of the things that this integrated approach of marketing automation delivers, but they've got their data, their programs in silos. They've got one person doing email. They have another person doing direct mail, maybe even someone tracking web uh, activity and even someone doing social. They're all in silos. And really when you start to design these optimized nurturing sequences, it's an integrated program. And there's the real value, getting all of that silo activity into one program, and it really does change the customer's uh, life in so many
1: areas. Beautiful. Love it. Well, this has been fantastic, guys. Um, I think that there's an opportunity for us to reflect back on everything we've talked about here. Joe, do, do you think that we've missed anything that um, is an important question or something that you see in all of your work with corporate marketers? Is there anything that bubbles up for you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and certainly in the last couple months, I've had many calls like this. But... It's not uncommon for corporate marketers, which do an exceptional job. They may have one or two areas that they're doing really well. Like the one company I was working with, they do a great job with their email marketing. I was really impressed. They've even started to do some Facebook targeted ads, although there's some room for improvement there. So they're, they're doing really good in those areas. But most marketers are resource challenged. They admit it readily. And there's just not enough, not enough hours in a the day. There's always a growing to-do list. So they realized and recognized based on our presentation that our partner uh, together could add value in those areas. They just don't have the time to get to. So they asked us and tasked us with coming up with a proposal to start to augment the low-hanging fruit areas of opportunity so that they do get an integrated approach to their marketing needs. But we'll take a couple of pieces and start to phase those in. Through our service provider, which is a brilliant strategy, and I, I commend those marketers for seeing that.
0: So, Joe, let's say I am a corporate marketer. Maybe I'm a, I'm a BMW or a car company or whatever it is, and I'm thinking, okay, I've, I do a lot of emails. I send tons of emails out. Maybe I'm starting to dabble in direct mail, or I've been doing direct mail, and I want to involve all these other components. Do you suggest that I start all at once or go piece by piece? You know, tell me, walk me through the process of what I would do as a corporate marketer to really create multi-channel drip campaigns.
2: Absolutely. So you're doing email well, which everybody lives on in the automotive world. So now let's create a a really dynamic direct mail piece with a great offer, Mm -hmm. and let's use Intelligent Mail Barcode on that. Let's scan it and uh, say, you know, a super opportunity is going to, you know, with your email, a super opportunity is going to hit your mailbox any day now. You can't afford to miss this Ooh. once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So it warms up that direct mail piece mm-hmm. that's coming. Someone's going to look at it, and then we're going to drive them to a personalized uh, site via the Pearl, and now we can start to get out of that marketing intelligence that we can give them a special coupon to download they can bring into the event sale.
1: This is for the Bentley? Yeah. In
2: mm-hmm. addition, <laughs> we can layer in that retargeting the social media ads so when they're casually browsing bingo hey we've got a special offer for you have you checked it out yet it's in your mailbox Uh, so that would be very easy baby steps to take and then based on the success over the first 30 45 60 days of those steps we could then take it to the next level with some more website activity that you guys mentioned earlier so that would be uh, the way to start to layer those in And with each step, adding value and improved results.
0: Well, we really appreciate you having you here, Joe. You have so much insight to share, and we appreciate you spending some time with us. And I know our listeners appreciate it, too. It's
2: an honor to join both you guys. You do a great job. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you, Joe.
1: Wow, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think I think that you'll get a lot of value out of that. Um, But one thing that's really important to us, to both Mm -hmm. Mackenzie and I, as we think about how we put the show together as we do the planning, is we really see you in the producer's chair, right? We want you to drive the content that we're providing you we really enjoy doing this this Love is like it. one of the, the most fun things we do every week but we want it to be meaningful and we want it to make a difference for you so let us know what other questions you have mm-hmm. let us know what other topics you're interested in and we're going to go out and get the best guests that we can get to help you understand those areas and help you ultimately grow your business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, make sure to send us more questions. You can always leave comments in the footer of our blogs. And then, of course, to be entered into the contest, which we're about to announce announce the winner, Mm -hmm. uh, make sure to leave us reviews on um, iTunes. So... Who is the winner?
1: So our lucky winner is... Drum roll, uh, please. (laughs) ...is Rob Smiles. And Rob said, uh, this was a review he left on iTunes. We appreciate that, Rob. Great content and guests, and I find the episodes so far really helpful and applicable to my agency. So, Rob, you're the lucky winner. Uh, If you're listening, uh, give us a call, drop us a line, uh, get a hold of us. And uh, we'll get you into that advanced Facebook training ASAP.
0: Yes. And then, of course, listeners, be on the lookout for our next episode coming out next week. Leave some reviews, comments, questions. As Dave said, you guys are the producers and gals, and we'd love to continue to bring you content that you find useful. So this is all about you.
1: Yep. Have a beautiful day. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.